You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to Sweden in Focus, the Locals podcast made possible by our members. What you're about to hear is the second part of our interview with Lola Akinmade Okerström, where she talks more about how Sweden can get better at dealing with racism, how frequently she's confronted with microaggressions, the ideas of integration versus assimilation, a tendency in Europe to fetishize and limit black women, what happens when the Swedish concept of lagom is applied collectively, the prospect of her novel In Every Mirror She's Black making it to the screen and what's next for her characters in the upcoming sequel. I'm your host, Paul Omani. This interview was recorded on Thursday the 27th of April and besides our guest, I was joined in the Stockholm studio by James Savage and from Malmö by Becky Waterton and Richard Orange. Thank you, as always, to all members who support our independent journalism and if you're considering joining, we'll add a link in the show notes where you can find our current offers and we'll also include links to articles related to the discussion. You can hear the rest of the interview in the previous episode. Okay, let's get back into it and we'll start with a question from James. How do you interpret your lived experience and the lived experience of so many people who get in contact with the local with all of these surveys that show that Sweden is so not a racist country? Mm. Um, you know, the, the World Value Survey, uh, just, uh, just someone sent me this just now, not knowing we were going to do this. And I, I thought it was so interesting. The World Value Survey asks people around the world, mm. who would you not want to have as your neighbour? And only 1% of Swedes said someone of a different race mm. against, I don't know, just to take, you know, the countries that the people in this podcasts come from two percent of people in the uk so double as many mm-hmm. i mean doesn't still not not that many i mean in your in your home country nigeria 16 yeah, 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 exactly. of people exactly. <laughs> and iran 20 28 of people but yet we see that you know a, a lot of people who are of particularly visible minorities do feel excluded you know the yeah. whole thing about restaurants you know microaggressions yeah. how do these things work together what's how, how do you make these things exactly Be- because it's not true right because the problem is what is shown publicly doesn't match what's going on in, you know and that's what uh sweden gates try to highlight the un reports and lots of things it's not matching it's actually confusing the world in terms of kind of Sweden's global image. It's like, well, but these are all the great things we hear, but there's also some things. Why are we not hearing about that? Mm. You know, like a friend of mine is visiting from Argentina. And the first thing she told me when she came, she's like, wow, it's a lot more diverse here. I thought it was going to be mostly like 
blonde and blue-eyed people. Mm. And I'm like, but because that's all she sees as the image projected, yeah. right? So that's the, the issue is people can give kind of, oh, um, this answers to, to appear open and... But I, but I always say uh, Sweden is the most open society run by the most private people. That, that's it. It just is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so what, what we're saying here is that there's a difference between what, peop- what it's socially acceptable to say you mm. think or feel in Sweden yeah. and between what people actually do in their actions. Yeah, of course. Because it is a, a society that's kind of traditionally built on just this homogeneous uh, collective where we all, we all agree to feel mm. kind of feel this way we all agree because our values must say that we <laughs> feel this way and gratefully like the younger generation is kind of breaking away from that saying you know what i have my own brains and i feel different yeah and i don't agree you know and i think that's a good thing in in so many ways too it's okay to to stand out yeah. and we all see that meme with all the matches and then there's the one match everything all the matches are burning and then there's the one match that breaks the the break and just comes out and says we don't why do we have to just all think the same because you know <laughs> we're all different and we're all beautifully different i think it is a threat to sweden because the whole sort of social democratic system the whole swedish system is built around the idea that there's this machine which doesn't discriminate mm. you know it's universal you plug yourself in you get your pursuit number and every number is treated the same and then all of the human aspects of life all of the sort of cultural aspects if that's up to you the system is just a it's just impersonal mm. and all of the the culture is outside of that so that when you start saying we want to discriminate we want to know mm. what race people are so that they can be so that we can alter this system to a sort of i can see why that's a threat to yeah. the kind of i don't know the, the, yeah. the, the way you, the system's you, built yes. up when you start saying that some groups actually need more support to access society on the same level as other groups and that yeah. that becomes oh but we don't know who's a member of these groups Correct. how can we help exactly them? i think i think yeah. there's also there's also I, I think one thing that's worth bearing in mind when we're talking about registering race and and you know uh, particularly you know going back to what you were saying about the un obviously a big part of sweden's history of race is is relations with the sami people Mm. and race biology Mm -hmm. where you were saying that look there are actual physiological difference between the races measuring sami people's skulls Mm. to show that they were biologically different and then for for very good reasons a a reaction against that saying Mm. this is absolutely wrong there Mm. is no such thing as race Mm. you can't measure people's skulls and say that they're one race or another and so 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 we as sweden don't see race correct we we are we are we are we are completely we just see human beings there are human beings Mm. and they and, and and they come from different places and they have different backgrounds but there is no such thing as race mm. and it, ultimately it comes from a good place Correct. but then when you when you transpose that into a multicultural society <laughs> exactly. people come from outside the country ethnicity where yeah. ethnicity and, yeah. and, and and visible differences where people look visibly foreign mm. you create troubles because then you then you make that discrimination that follows on from that mm. invisible yeah yeah no absolutely we kind of spoke about this when we had um sayaka from Malmo university mm. yes we and we spoke about like perceived race yeah. versus like the race that someone prescribes to you exactly Exactly. And like how you self-identify and that kind of thing. And that's why the UN says that this kind of data collection needs to be anonymized and disaggregated so that people can't be targeted as a result of agreeing to provide it. Exactly. Exactly. If we can go back to your novel for a second, Lola, uh, your character Kemi 
She reckons that Sweden only has the bandwidth to tackle one social problem at a time. And she says this after she walks into a boardroom where there are plenty of women, but no other people of colour. Do you share your character's view on that? Yeah, absolutely. And I do want to point out that I am not the character because a lot, <laughs> because a lot of uh, readers keep ascribing just a life to me. And I'm like, no, that's just me as the author being lazy. Yeah. You know, I can... I can easily write a Nigerian-American career woman. That's an easy character to write. (laughs) But no, she's not me. But yes, because um, the last few years when we've been talking about equality in in Sweden, it's actually been more gender equality. And then gender equality mostly for white women, actually. And so there are so many intersections of that fight. But right now it's let's first get 50% men and women at the table. And that's the kind of main issue. And it's usually 50% like white women, you know, men. And so, in essence, everybody, all the different marginalized groups are kind of, quote-unquote, waiting for the issues, you know, to be to be tackled in a sense. So, that's what uh, I mean, because even within the old fight and the old feminism kind of uh, revolution, there's so many intersections and mm. it's still led by white feminism, you know. And so, that's why I wanted to put that in there, is that life is complex. We are so complex. There are so many intersections that we live in. But yeah, it's kind of tackled one at a time. Like, let's just first start with... Mm. And so when Kemi comes into the boardroom, it's all blonde, but it's just 50% women, 50% men. Yeah. And you came to Sweden from the US, where hyphenated identities are a lot more common than here. Why do you think that is? And can Sweden learn anything from that? Yeah, so that's the thing... Um, that speaks to assimilation versus integration. Mm. And for me, I'm a big proponent for integration, but not assimilation. Because assimilation is a very big ask. Assimilation says for you to be like, to be accepted, you have to be like me. So leave who you are, drop your identity, drop what you know or knew and accept all of who I am so I can accept you. And that's a catch 22 because you'll never be accepted. Again, going back to the boy that was born here, lived here and is essentially a Swede, is still not accepted, right? Integration says, as long as you follow my rules, as long as we are fighting this fight together, I can make space for you. The space is not going to take from me. It's actually going to make us all richer Mm. because over time, cultures do evolve. And so that's why in the US, you can see like an hyphenated, I'm Swedish American, you know, Nigerian American, because I can be both. You know, one culture is not threatening the other aspect. But here, it's only now recently you're announcing kind of like Afro-Swedish kind of taking up that identity to say, no, I'm actually both. You know, I'm I'm both Swedish and and both of African descent. You know, and so that is a very big thing because, and I'll, I'll give you an example. So my name, my Yoruba name is Honora Lola Olua. That's my full name. It has a meaning in my language. It means God moves in mysterious ways. Now imagine if I moved somewhere and they wanted me to change my name to uh, Begita so I can get a job. <laughs> and to say, well, just do what you need to do to come in. I'm losing a part of who I am because my name has meaning in my culture. So imagine people having to change their names from Mohammed, you know, or Mickey or whatever, you mm. know, to Magnus, just so they can actually get to the interview yeah. stage, you yeah. know. So those are the things yeah. that people don't consider. It's it's not a, it doesn't mean people don't want to assimilate or like to integrate. It just means you are asking them to give up some things that are just core to who they are, their identity, their backgrounds, and that will never, ever work. So you have to look at countries that have better, stronger integration policies and just see what you can learn. Mm. And if you don't do that, then you're saying there's nothing I can learn from you. I know all. I know Mm. everything. 
And people do sometimes actually change their names to, yes. to, to assimilate into yeah. um, I know re- recently I, I met, I'm not going to say his ne- name in what his actual name is, but he was from Aleppo. He came to Sweden in t- 2016. He was a builder. And his his name was basically something like Robert Svensson. Mm. Right. And then he turned up and it's like, <laughs> I don't think, I don't think yeah, you're really yeah. called Robert Svensson. Yeah. But you know, he was doing, but he, 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 he clearly, I don't know yeah. why he did this, but he perhaps felt it was a, yes. a way of being accepted. Yeah. So I met, I was sitting on a panel and I met a, a lady from Iran and she's actually changing her name back to our original name because when she moved to Sweden, she changed it mm. to feel accepted and then realized everything is not enough. You know, what everything mm. I do will never be enough. And so she now changing her name back to what it used to be. I mean, I even had this this thought when I, I got married. I was like, there's barely any other Watertons in the UK, let alone in Sweden. And I was like, okay, maybe I should start going by like Rebecca and then my husband's Swedish last name. And then I'll kind of blend in more. Mm. I kind of thought, no, I, I you know what? I want, I want to be the only Becky Waterton in Sweden. Yes. I want to be like, <laughs> I want someone to be able to see that I'm British. Yeah. But then... That's also privilege. Like no one's going to treat me differently because I've got a, a British name. But that's the point. No isn't one's going to treat me differently because I'm called Becky. Yes. If you come from some European countries and and America, people are just like, oh, well, that's so interesting. Yes. <laughs> and or or, mm. or it's a completely neutral reaction. I think you know that's not necessarily what what immigrants from many other parts of the world find when they come to Sweden. It's not necessarily a completely positive reaction. Yes. Yeah. But but when I, one thing I've noticed is a lot of because my kids have got like an English speaking gang in their school, a lot of their friends are have have African parents or at least one African parent and one thing I've noticed is that they very rarely take the African surname for their children yeah. they, 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 they leave the child the Swedish surname because I think they think that that will do them good mm. yeah my daughter has a, a Swedish surname yeah. yes yeah you too <laughs> Becky yeah. where's, where's your culture <laughs> exactly uh, yeah. yes in the book um, Kemi is headhunted from the US to move to Sweden and head up diversity efforts at a major marketing company and as she contemplates the move she's worried that she might end up being the token black person at the company do you think this kind of tokenism is a problem in Sweden I think it is and, and again kind of looking at the population dynamics there are not that many Afri- Afro-Swedes in, in Sweden I mean there's a big chunk but at the same time when you see somebody of and I'll talk generally so like a non-white person in a position that's kind of elevated then they are usually the only one in that position mm. even though there are many people that have maybe similar qualifications but it's like no no we have one we can't make space for more than one we keep giving the one the awards we keep elevating the one mm. and the thing is one thing I've also noticed is knowing this culture very well the higher you get up within the rungs of society as somebody that's not quote-unquote Swedish or Bonnier, the more you have to give something up along the way. And that's one of the things I noticed that, you know, kind of the, the IA, because it's, it's a culture that doesn't like dissenting voices or conflict. Yeah. So the higher you climb as a non-white person into, <laughs> and kept getting as accepted into quote-unquote the folds, the higher ups, the more you have to leave something behind. And that's something I have chosen to not do. I use my voice mm. to kind of highlight all of these issues. But that's where you see. And then people can become tokens. And they sometimes they realize, even at that point, that, you know what? Even after all of this, I'm still not fully seen as, mm. just as a complete person. I'm just seen as an example of this is how you should do and work and be so that you can be accepted. This is yeah. how you need to work four times as hard to be accepted. This is how you need to reflect in society to be accepted. And that's a problem. People need to be able to just be accepted for just being 
human to be seen not to work 10 times as hard because it will never be enough. Mm. It really just won't. Mm. So there is a big problem of that, but that's also in the U.S. as well, in lots sure. of different places, you know, where you have to work <laughs> twice as hard and it can be frustrating, especially when you're sitting in a room and you're the smartest person in the room and you know it and it's visible, but then, you <laughs> <laughs> but then you're treated like, oh, you should be grateful that we're letting you into the room. Right. Mm. I've been in lots of those mm. kind of rooms where yeah. they actually look at me and be like, oh, oh I, I thought you were bringing the coffee in for us to <laughs> drink. And I'm like, what the? I can't cuss on the yeah. screen. <laughs> but, but, you know, so there's a lot of that as well. Yeah. If we go back to, to Muna, who's a, a refugee who works as a janitor. And how much of, of Muna do you see in yourself and other immigrants in general, but also black women in particular? Yeah. So that's the character I'm actually, that's closest to me. You know, even though I wasn't a refugee when I moved from Nigeria to the U.S., I moved alone. I stayed with extended family. My first job was at, as a janitor. I moved at 15 yeah. uh, to start college. So I started college quite early. But one of the things is all those feelings of trying to find belonging, to fit in, identity, coming with your own sense of self, but then being pushed into a box. All of those feelings I felt in the U.S. And so that was why I'm grateful that I lived in the U.S. before coming to Sweden, because I have a kind of a clearer lens. I see things immediately that are maybe very systemic, um, that I try to be explained away. And so with Muna's story, this is also inspired by real people I met and mm. spent time with, you know. And what I wanted to show in the book, because when we talk about refugees in Swedish society, it's still this kind of arbitrary kind of person that many people don't have one-to-one connection connection Mm. with and so why this book needs to be published in sweden is it introduces you to mona and other refugees it lets you become invested in their lives yeah all the way so that by the end of the book when whatever happens happens at the end of the book Mm. you see them as a person you react you so that when you hear those kind of announcements it's no longer this "Ah," you know you Mm. actually see people and that is what the publishers are keeping away from the swedish because you see what happened with the my bloomer you know situation as well people reacted because they saw yeah and mm. most people are generally good so if they see and they hear and they f- then they react yeah that's also the part i love about sweden is that if people don't know you know most people if they don't know um if they know actually then they actually do something because it's you know mm. human rights and and sweden is kind of big on that but that's why but if you're keeping this level of connection then you always see people as the other you know, and you will not create that human connection and say, you know what, these are just, they have the same dreams and hopes and wants like me. So that was why Mona's character was super. And that's the character that the publishers wanted me to actually minimize mm. because they felt like, well, it will make Swedes feel bad that, oh, but we, what we get, we allow so many refugees, but people don't know what happens to the refugees when they come. They just see the headlines that, oh, see how good we are. Yeah. We accepted. 50,000, you know, yesterday, but they don't know what happens when they come in. So that's, the book is saying, this is what happens when they come in. Mm. This is actually the reality. There's also so many negative stories of refugees in Swedish media. So it feels like it would be a real benefit to kind of give a positive yeah, story. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I haven't read the book, yeah. but I'm sure, I'm sure you present her as a human being. Oh, yeah. Who, that, know, that's that, that's the one character that everybody loves. And at the end of the book, they want to fight me physically fight me as the author <laughs> you know about Muna's story because uh, because they see her as real they don't actually just see her as a character they see mm. her as a real person that does everything she's the of all the three women she's the most fluent in Swedish mm. 
So there's also language privilege because the other women are more, you know, one of them marries into the 1%. And the other is a, a working woman. So there's also that uh, intersection I brought in. And then really doing everything you can, being a janitor, being invincible, uh, getting the looks on the train. So what I was doing was I was putting Swedish people in the feet and the shoes of a refugee in Sweden. And they didn't want that mm. because it, it felt so uncomfortable. I do not want to see you because otherwise I would feel bad and will be... <laughs> convicted to action. That survey we mentioned earlier that we ran on the local a few months ago on racism in Sweden, a strikingly large proportion of respondents referred to microaggressions. And you have a clear example of this in the book when Kemi talks about how if she's out with a group of white people, she's often the last person to be served at bars and restaurants. And the people in the group don't necessarily notice that yeah, at all. Yeah. How much does this speak to your own experience? Yeah, I mean, microaggressions every day because, you know, um, somebody that just... I'm quite confident in myself and just, you know, take up space. I don't shrink. I don't need to shrink who I am, right? And some microaggressions could be even just walking down the street and then somebody just says something like, bitch, mm. as I walk by. And I'm like, what do I, I don't, mm. who, who are you? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and there was a time I went out with colleagues and we're having dinner and the waitress just kept skipping over me, like just mm. skipped. Like, can I take your order? Then skip to the other person and then the guy was a white uh, Swedish guy was then tapped me who was my colleague and he's like what's, what's going on why is she not I, I'm like welcome to my world as a black woman right mm. and even uh, sometimes uh, if I'm going out with people and these are just kind of it's like a privileged microaggression right in that I'm going out and mingling but even sometimes getting served the worst looking dish because it's like, well, it's good enough for you. So they give the nicest to everybody and mm. then you get the like bunt fish and you're like, what the... F <laughs> and that's just a small microaggression. Mm -hmm. And then there is just the um, the dismissiveness or the um, condescension mm. or, or just the... Um, I remember I was in a meeting with a guy and just the tone was so condescending. Yeah. I actually just reacted to him and said, don't... You, you don't talk to me like that, mm. you know. Did you give him the full Nigerian nightmare? Yeah, I gave him Nigerian, <laughs> exactly. By the way, the Nigerian nightmare is my rugby uh, nickname. I yes, used to play, I, <laughs> I used to play semi-pro rugby for many, many years. So that wow. was, so that was my nickname. But, but there's still, um, and that's just even, and this is me as a working, you know, career woman with, that come with my own privileges. So now imagine when you're already very invincible. Mm. People just, don't see you and that's <laughs> that's why this is so important for me because my work is all about i see you you know through my photography through my words uh, and yeah so this is just super important work for me that mm. i need to keep highlighting because yes sweden is incredible it's beautiful the canal bowler is fantastic when baked fresh you know from the <laughs> oven you know but there's also these issues and that's why a lot of people shrink it's it's kind of like i always use this analogy you could come to Sweden and live by a lake, you know, like, and just be quiet and just live a quiet life as a black woman and not mm. expand out of that. But at least you're living by a lake and eating fika every day. Or do you have aspirations to be maybe one day the CEO of IKEA? Will this society allow you to do that based on your experience and your smarts and everything, right? Mm. And so that's, that's the space I keep playing with in terms of storytelling is it's one thing to maybe even love or marry a black woman is another thing to take directions from as your boss, mm. you know, 
that kind of leads on to the next yeah. question, actually. Oh, yes. It's like there's a theme running through yes. the book of fetishizing black women. Yeah. Is, that, is that something you see a lot of? Yeah, but it's, that's an, a European thing as well. It's, it's not just Sweden, but in, in Europe is a lot. And it's, it's a very delicate subject as well. And it leads to this thing of, um, well, you're more accessible and you're least protected in society. Mm. So I can do whatever I want with you. Mm. It comes from that because black women are the least protected in society, both in the US, in Europe, around the world. So there's that. And then it's also back to that. Well, but if you become my CEO at Ericsson, I'm just going to undermine you and not even listen to you mm. because why are you my boss? Mm. Society has said, you are the least in society, so why are you, why should I take directions from you? So it's very insidious and there's so many levels, you know, and that's why I'm, this is a, a burn for me in terms of keep bringing it to the light, you know, and letting people understand. And so when I get feedback from Swedish people that say, oh, well, but it's, why do we need to know about your lives? Mm. That means you've already put us as different and there's nothing you can connect with because you're not there's nothing I can connect with with you. There's nothing I can learn from you, yeah. right? And uh, another anecdote I always say is um, in the U.S., even though racism is really strife, you know, and we, it's very contentious and it's out in the open and people debate, but at least it's been debated. And I can be like Oprah Winfrey if I want to. So the racist doesn't have to like me, but at least they don't doubt <laughs> that mm. I can be like Oprah. But in Sweden, it's like, you know, like, oh, are you a doctor? Oh, wow, then you must be really smart. Mm. It's a very different kind of uh, <laughs> feedback and environment to, mm. to be in. It's, it's one that says these are the boxes I've already created for you in right. society. And then once you expand out of that, then, wow, I did not anticipate that from you. Right. Yeah. So. Okay. And let's talk a bit about the Swedish concept of logom, which you mentioned a bit earlier. You've literally written the book <laughs> on what you call the Swedish secret of living well. Yes. But you've also talked about how it can be dangerous when applied at a group level. Can you expand on that a bit? Oh, absolutely. So logom was my, I've written a lot of nonfiction before and logom was the book right before in Every Mirror. And I think that was what also added the authority and allowed me to write in every mirror because logom, so if you think of this uh, ethos as, a, as an old-fashioned scale or like yeah. a scale of justice, too much stresses the scale, too little, you know, stresses the scale. So it always has to find that balance to keep the scale balanced, right? So it's an ethos of stress management. I yeah. say it's the Swedish way of managing stress. So it creates habits, sustainable habits for you to keep that scale always balanced in mm. life. Now, if you think of every single context, so for example, even as simple as interior decor, if it doesn't have personal value or if it isn't functional, then it's just adding stress. I have to clean it, and but it doesn't need to be there, right? Every, yeah. So you take it out. And so that brings in minimalism, right? Mm. If I'm walking and walking and walking and feeling stressed, then I take a thicker break to rebalance and recalibrate my scale and then continue the day. So it's a stress management thing. So logom in your personal life is a fantastic ethos because it's trying to create a life that you can sustain by removing stress within your control. Yeah. It's trying to make you live your best life in your own life. Now, what happens when you take that scale into society? It's trying to do the same thing. It's trying to remove stress mm. within its control. And so it's trying to keep it homogeneous because if you're if i'm living my best logom life 
then I take my best logom life into society, then my best logom life may be different from your best logom life. Right? It's not because logom is subjective. Mm. And then you're stressing me. And then I'm going to try all you, well, can you tone it down a bit yeah. because you're living your best and it's making me stressed. <laughs> and so that's what happens. It becomes yante. And we know the whole thing about yante lagging and don't feel like you're better than us. Mm. We know all the yeah. rules. But that's what happens. So logom is just yante in a group setting. Logom in your personal life, fantastic itos. So that's the problem. It's, it just does what it's meant to do, except in a group setting. It's, it's terrible because then it's trying to remove stress. Yeah. <laughs> mm, so that, that's, so that's so logon. Yeah. I've also seen it as kind of an excuse when people are being un-Swedish. You know, they're being too loud on the public transport or they're being too kind of, I don't know, the social. And it's like, oh, you need to be more logon. Tone it down. Like, yeah, be, exactly. be, no- be normal. Be Swedish. It's like, yeah. well, this is me. Like, mm. Exactly. What do you want me to do? It's a big problem for my kids at school because it, it, just by being English and having a loud English dad, they are louder yes. than, than, than <laughs> the Swedish, Swedish, Swedish kids. Yeah. And, and the teachers don't like it. The teachers see them as sort of too loud and too disruptive. And they, and they sort of they see, you know, Lika logom, you know, scatter logom. Exactly. Tone it down. Mart rule, poor, when they eat, they have to have mart rule, which means, you know, shut up and be quiet. Exactly. Don't have a loud conversation over your lunch. You know, there is this this pressure just to keep quiet, keep calm all the time, which is quite oppressive. Which works fine if you are quiet. Exactly. Great for introverts. Exactly. And that's the thing, because when people talk about logom a lot and they always compare it to Goldilocks so and then she picked the bed that was just right yeah. but they forget that that bed was just right for Papa Bear and for Mama Bear that's their own logom right and logom is very subjective but in a group setting it tries to create a kind of that balance of okay this is what it is in a group setting and it's very it's like <laughs> it contradicts itself the, yeah. lo- the concept Conformity. of logom yeah, yeah. I saw in an interview with you that Hollywood had come knocking after your novel. Can you tell us anything about that? I can't say much, except that they came knocking. Okay. Wearing, wearing, oh. wearing sunglasses, too. So it's... it's <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this is intriguing. Yeah, so, so, I really want to probe you more on this, but yeah, I sense that I you know. can't say No, anything. I can't. I'm under obligation not to say anything, but it's... Uh, but let's just say the journey of this book is just beginning, you know, even though it's been out for two two years now and the sequel is coming out this October. You yeah, know. I wanted to ask you about that. So it is, your, your second novel is a sequel yes. with the same characters? Yes, the same characters. And, uh, and because for those that have read the first book, it just ends off on a cliff, Yeah, you know, and, and then people are like, what? And then they throw the book against the wall. Yeah. <laughs> so the... <laughs> I, 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 I smashed my Kindle. I know, right? <laughs> no, but the sequel just kind of wraps it up and then answers all the questions and just gives it a nice... It's close. And I always say that if the first book ended with them falling or all falling over a cliff, what happens when, when the second book starts? They're still falling, right? Mm. And then they still have to get to the bottom. Boom. And then, st- uh, you know, then stand up if they're still alive, right? Then stand up. So, um, so that's the second book is that it kind of starts out kind of where the, the first one ended, takes it a bit down, but then shows the possibility of what it could f- be like to thrive. So. And what's it called? Everything is not enough. 
Everything is not enough. <laughs> that sounds like a bomb film. Exactly. And it's coming yeah. out when? In October. So we've got a US publisher and a UK publisher. So yeah. both versions are coming out the same week in October. Yeah. And uh, like the uh, third week in October. And then the German edition of In Every Mirror, She's Black is also coming out in October. So it's going to be a very busy book month. Well, let's hope. That, not that it matters to you because you're big on an international scale, <laughs> but let's hope that this actually pushes the Swedish publishers into action because Sweden deserves to read this book. Yeah, you know, and I, I hope so. But at this point, the longer they don't do anything, the, the more the book is making its point yeah. globally. And, and at this point, it's just for Sweden's sake, more so than mine. I don't really care yeah. at that point. It, it's more that those that read English can read it. I wrote it in very simple prose for that specific reason, so that people mm. that English is not their first language can read it and feel seen. Can I just hop in here? Because I'm, I'm right in the middle of it at the moment. I started reading it for the podcast. And I have to say, you know, it covers all, all these big themes of integration and the refugee experience. But it is a really easy and fun read. It's, you know, the, the characters are really alive. It's very, it's very lively. It's, 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 not, it's not like a heavy book yes. or a serious book. Yeah. Although, you know, it has serious themes, but it's not. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. A serious book. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you. And uh, and it was all by choice because it's, I didn't want to, I think people are tired of like non-fiction anti-racism books that just kind of lecture you. And I'm like, you know what, how can we just put all this I've written a book about Logum, so let's see Logum at play, you know, with characters, with in real life, with people that uh, that you can connect with. Yeah. So it was all by by choice, like, and also the way I wrote it is so that people can be engaged in the story. It's fiction, and there's a an intensity to it, but it's also fun, and there where well, you can laugh. I mean, there are laugh out loud moments. Yeah, it's just a it's just a really raw, real human book. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, the characters are really interesting. I'm really looking forward to the second book to see yes. what happens with them after that. Cliff. Oh yes, yes, get ready. <laughs> and you'll come to us when you've got the new when the new book's coming out, and if Hollywood's knocking exactly opens the door. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, no, no. Of course, I'll be back. You know, to share all of that. You know, and then continue this journey because for me, it's about people feeling like they can speak that um, they feel seen and they don't feel like it's all in my head because I think that's what a lot of foreigners feel. Yeah. They feel gaslit a lot yeah. because their issues are kind of brushed aside. Well, that's just how it works. Mm. But I'm like, no, 
you, it's not in your head. And that's why people connect, even though it's for black women. It's like, these are real issues yeah. and, and it's okay to use your voice. You know, you don't have to give up your voice to be accepted in any society. Your voice is yours. Thanks very much for joining us on the podcast, Lola. Thank you for having me. That takes us to the end of this bonus episode. Our sound engineer on this podcast is Rhys Edwards, and we'll be back again on Saturday with a regular episode of Sweden in Focus. Until then, take care. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.